0: A lot of you know, if you're familiar with our family at all, that uh, part of our family beyond uh, uh, myself and Carol and mom and the, our two uh, boys, that we have uh, two others, well, more than two others, but two you can't miss in our house, and they are Great Danes. Um, maybe you have, have met them before. They are Finley and Macy, and I think we have a picture of them, or we will have, um, Finley and Macy are from two different litters, but the same parents. We, we got Finley first, and she was such a, a, a loving and docile and just an incredible dog, so we thought we'd get another from the same parents, and Macy turned out to be the absolute polar opposite of Finley. And so uh, when Carol and I walked these two beasts of dogs in our neighborhood, uh, we have a lot of people stop. People want to greet these two dogs and to pet them, which is always fun. Um, but you can imagine having these two, over 300 pounds of dogs, wrestling in your living room, uh, acting like little kids. You can understand how chaotic that might be at times. And uh, we know that if they are wrestling, that it's safest for us just to sit on the couch and get out of their way. There, there's no sense in, in trying to uh, calm them down. You are going to get knocked over. Uh, Macy, as, uh, as I said, has proven to be the stubborn one. Um, and she is by far the stronger of the two. She is a lot bigger. And it takes a lot to control a dog like that. If Macy decides that she is not going to go somewhere... Or if Macy does not want to do something, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of control in order to to get her to do it. You cannot muscle her. You cannot force her to do anything. She will stand her ground. So you might ask, well, how in the world do we ever control these two dogs? Well, it's what we're going to be talking about today. It takes an authority. Uh, these dogs, uh, Finley is the gray one. She su- submits to Finley or submits to authority pretty easily. She's pretty docile. She, she obeys uh, immediately. Macy will eventually. When she decides that's a pretty good idea, then she will obey. But we've established that these two dogs, as big as they are, they are not the ones that are in control. That we have the authority over them. And our story this morning is about that. It's about a story of authority. It's about something, uh, it's about uh, authority being questioned. Now, we live in that type of of an era where authority is starting to be questioned. and, And that's really, it's not all that bad a thing because we know that there has been some alarming stories of authority that was misused in our society. And so, you know, questioning authority has come as a secondary result of some of those, but it's not a new thing. Questioning authority is not something new. It didn't start with Generation Z. They're not the inventors of questioning authority. It it started really kind of all the way back in the 1600s, 1700s, and in what was known as the Enlightenment. These, uh, Modern thinkers back then were teaching people to question all authority. So over 300 years ago, the the thinking of the populace started to change, and where people were taught to place everything under the control of their own personal authority, meaning that the self was more powerful than the collective, meaning that the creation knew what was better for the created. And so there was this rejection at the time of the supernatural. And not only the supernatural uh, miracles of God, but even people were questioning now the person of God and and, uh, the power of God and skepticism started to replace faith. I'd love to go back in time and go through this story that we're going to go through today with one of these early enlightenment thinkers And converse with them about this passage today. Because in this story, we have God as a man, Jesus, teaching not just with suggestions on how to live a good life. But um, he is teaching with authority. Authority as a God in flesh. And so in this story, we have a demon-possessed man who is healed. We have this unclean spirit who is cast out. And everyone there is left awestruck. This story would drive that enlightenment thinker uh, crazy, and it still does. And, and for Western people like us, it, it also talks about a taboo subject that we don't often talk about here, and that's the supernatural we love to, to push everything that has to do with the supernatural and, and let somebody else deal with that. Maybe let Hollywood deal with that. We'll let Hollywood deal with spirits and, and demons and things like that. You know, they make horror movies. They make good horror movies. And so we'll let them deal with that. But this story not only talks about their existence, but it reminds us of Jesus' authority over them. And this is just my theory. I think one of the reasons that we don't talk about the existence and the oppression of demons in the Western world is that we have reduced our Jesus. We've reduced our Jesus to being too weak to do anything about it. And here's what I mean by that. Now, when I was teaching in Kids Zone, this wasn't a bad thing to teach, but we talked a lot about Jesus becoming our best friend right? And, and he is our best friend. I don't disagree with that. We need to have Jesus as our best friend. But if Jesus is going to have authority in our life, Jesus needs to be more than a good friend, right? Jesus needs to be Lord. Jesus needs to be King. And if he's going to make any sort of lasting difference in our life, then he needs to be somebody that we turn to when things aren't going well, right? And so this popular Jesus of today has become a far cry of the biblical Jesus that we read about in our story today. Today's Jesus has has all the encouragement and, and the good vibes of a really good buddy. But have we given him the lordship and rely on him for our salvation because we would be hopelessly, lost sinners without Jesus. So today's Jesus has become kind of sanitized and uh, the sanitized version of the real Jesus. I don't know that our Jesus today surprises us. Does our Jesus today astonish us or amaze us? See, modern thinking has reduced Jesus to some sort of frail companion that will support you somebody that'll come alongside of you and tell you that they love you and tell you that everything is going to be okay, that isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but sometimes we need a Jesus with the guts to come up to us and say, what are you doing? You are making a miss out of your life. Stop doing that. Don't we need that kind of Jesus to come into our life? As Pastor Tim Keller says, If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping worshiping an idealized version of yourself. If your Jesus never stuns you by his glory, if he never causes you to fall down at his feet in worship, if you never realize before him that you are undeserving of his love, only to find him lavishing out upon you, His storehouses of grace falling upon someone who is undeserved. You're depriving yourself of the only one who can really do something glorious with your life. So we need a savior with the guts to say, I hate the sin in your life. I hate it. And we can't be together if you're going to keep this up. But I love you enough to already pave the way out of it for you. That's how much he he loves us. And only a real Jesus can ever do anything with your sin. Only a real Jesus has the authority over us and the demonic world. See, we need a real Jesus who teaches beyond what we are itching to hear. We don't need that kind of Jesus. We need a Jesus who helps reshape this hollow vessel that we are and can feel it with his spirit and his purpose. We need an authoritative Jesus that takes charge in the kingdom of God. And the good news is, that's exactly who we have in him. It's exactly who we have in him if we are willing to take him. See, I love this story that we're going to be going through today because it's a, uh, it, it takes a, a look at the real authoritative Jesus. Our story today is found in the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bible, go ahead and, and turn there the Gospel of Mark. Last week we were in the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, and we're now in the book right after that, Matthew and then Mark. Mark is one of the four books in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus and uh, his life and his ministry. Mark was writing to a different people than Matthew was. Matthew was writing to all of the Jewish people. Mark is writing to all of the Gentiles. So he's writing to all the people who hadn't grown up in the Jewish faith. And, and these people that Mark was writing to uh, may not understand all of the customs, the Jewish customs, and, and they were people outside of the religious life. Now I call the, the book of Mark the Reader's Digest Gospel because it's shorter than all of them. And I know I'm dating myself with that terminology, the Reader's Digest, but uh, it's shorter, and Mark just kind of deals with just the facts. He just kind of tells us what happened. There's, there's very little fluff in, in Mark. He just tells it the way it is. And so Mark, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark chapter 1, that's a big number, verse 21, that's a little number. If you're taking notes, go ahead, and this is our first point today. Jesus is the authoritative teacher. Jesus is the authoritative teacher. Look at verses 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum as Jesus and his disciples. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they, the people there, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Have you ever noticed that we live in a world today where everything has become amazing? Have you ever noticed that before? Hey, did you see that TV show the other night? It was amazing, right? Have you you tasted the fajitas? They're amazing, you're gonna love them, right? Um, Hey, I went to that new grocery store and I'm telling you that grocery store is amazing. Why is everything amazing now? Amazing, though, isn't astonishing. And that's the the word that was used here. To be amazed is just to be entertained with something that's better than what you could do. So the fajitas were better than what you could have cooked yourself. And so therefore, they're amazing fajitas. The grocery store has more food than you have in your house, or or it's bigger than the usual grocery store you go to, so therefore it's amazing. But to be astonished by something is to be floored by by something that by, by something that what you never thought anyone would ever be able to do. You're astonished by it. And that's what we see here with Jesus' teaching in these verses. Mark tells us that what astonished the world was a a simple sermon that that Jesus gave, but he gave with the authority of God. It wasn't that that what he said was astonishing. It was more of who said it was astonishing and how he said it. Uh, To understand this, let's put a... There's a little historical context we might need to know about what was happening in a synagogue during those days. And in the synagogue, in the days of Jesus, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a rabbi that served over that synagogue in every single one of them. In those days, most likely, there would be a chief ruler of the service, and this guy's primary primary responsibility would be to pick out somebody to say, hey, I want you to come up and, and, and read the scroll. I want you to read the scriptures today. And I want you to come up and read our prayers today. And then they would pick out somebody else to, to, he, uh, to interpret the Hebrew text. Maybe there was somebody there who, who didn't speak Hebrew, and so that person would have to interpret for the entire congregation and then that person would call out somebody from that crowd that day to preach and to tell the people uh, what these verses had to do with their daily life. Now, over time, that, that kind of evolved a little bit, and there became a rabbi that was involved with all of those responsibilities. But during this time, in the New Testament synagogue, there was probably somebody on, in that service being called out, just like one of you, if I would call upon you and say, hey, I want you to come up and preach today. And so uh, on the day of our story, Jesus is the one who is the preacher. And every other day, those who were chosen to lead the service, and, and sometimes you might just be chosen to lead the service because you could read and so you were chosen to come up and, and give the teaching. They didn't have the authority. They only were able to talk about what they had heard about before. Uh, and every now and then, that synagogue would host a, a legitimate teacher. A scribe would come into that synagogue who, who taught uh, second-hand theology. They would say, hey, you, you have heard it said that Rabbi so-and-so tells you that you should do this. Or according to Rabbi so-and-so, you should do that. Now this day, uh, we don't know exactly what Jesus taught about, but the scriptures give us examples of the things that Jesus would say when he would teach. And again and again in the Gospels, Jesus would say things like, You have heard it said, but I say to you. See, he spoke not in these second-hand quotes, but he spoke with a first-hand authority. And that word authority means out of the original. And so when Jesus spoke, he spoke as the author of the very words himself. But more than that, as the author of the truth that he was speaking about. The same pastor, Pastor Tim Keller, says this. He didn't just clarify something that they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in a way the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author of their lives and it left them dumbfounded. So as Jesus was speaking in this synagogue this day, the, the people there, their jaws were, were open their jaws dropped. They were astonished. They had never heard anybody ever teach like this before. Uh, no one else could be the author of the story that Jesus was talking about. Only Him. And so, when we today, when we open up our Bible and we hear the teaching of, of Jesus, we're not encountering just another good and moral teacher. We're hearing from the author of life itself. He is the one who is teaching us. And as Jesus spoke in the synagogue, he spoke to them as if he he knew exactly what was going on in their life. Because he did. Because he's God. It wasn't just my neighbor reciting the law to me. This was the spoken, authoritative word of God as Jesus taught But there was one there that day where the the call to repent, the the, the call to believe became too much. For, For this man, there was this battle inside of him, this battle between good and evil, and God was battling evil that day, and if evil was going to exist... If this was still going to happen within this man, if this evil realized that the authoritative teaching of Jesus needed to be tested, and that leads us to our second point. Jesus is the authoritative healer. Look at verses 23 through 26. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So here's what I I imagine happening on this day. The teaching of Jesus was like, nothing else that this crowd had ever heard before and there were people there they were ready to follow Jesus's teaching and some of them were probably excited hey this guy has new insights into my life and the different things that are that are happening and and all of a sudden this guy or this demon possessed guy behind them starts to to talk no offense Paul but uh, (laughs) bad timing Paul (laughs) So this demon possessed guy starts to talk and make these weird noises and I imagine the congregation all of a sudden say, what in the world is going on? Are we okay? What is happening here at church? And this demon cried out and he was resistant and he was defiant and he said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, Holy One of God. What's he saying here? Why, why did the demon say the, these words? Well, the demon wants Jesus to get away. The demon wants, wants Jesus to just leave him alone. He's not asking Jesus to leave him alone as much as he's trying to proclaim to him. And he's saying, have nothing to do with us, Jesus. I have nothing to do with you. Just get out of here. I don't want to see you. And he treats Jesus as if Jesus is the invader in a world that for so long has been controlled by Satan and his demons. But Jesus is not the invader here. The demons are. See, this is Jesus' kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming to reclaim his people. And now this this demon realizes he has no dominion over anything that Jesus is claiming. And so this unclean spirit recognized the authority of Jesus. He knew who Jesus was and he knew what Jesus was doing. And so he does something really interesting. He mentions the name of Jesus twice. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. What's he doing here? I had to look that up. I wasn't quite sure why he did that. And there's this theory out there that's saying that the demon was trying to make Jesus a little nervous. He was trying to make Jesus pause and maybe second guess himself. In fact, he was saying, I know who you are, Jesus. You can't fool me. Think about what would happen if, if I did that to one of you right now this morning. Can you imagine how nervous you would be if in the middle of my sermon I just stopped and said, I know who you are, Cheryl Sherwood. What would she do? She would start maybe to get a little defensive. She would also think, what in the world is he talking about? What does he know? What did I do? Right? Right? That's what this demon might have been doing with Jesus, but it it didn't work. Why? Well, first of all, Jesus had nothing to worry about. Jesus was sinless. There's nothing to be afraid of. But secondly, it didn't work because the demon didn't have authority over Jesus. Jesus had authority over it. And he tried to gain this upper hand, but, but it didn't work. He couldn't do that with Jesus. And I also think that this demon knew that his time was coming. He knew the end is near. And he saw better than anyone else, maybe in that entire church that day, what was happening spiritually as Jesus taught. Hearts were changing. His grip on, on people was becoming weaker and chains were falling and a world was being set free from their slavery to sin and it was happening right in front of his eyes and he was nervous about it and try as he may this demon's tactics are of no use he may be powerful but this demon has zero authority over Jesus when I was in in college I was an EMT, worked on an ambulance uh, for a, a little while. And part of the training was that when you got to a scene, that you had to establish control over that scene. You had to establish your authority at that scene. So people had to pay attention to your commands because if they didn't, somebody might hurt, get hurt or somebody's lives would be threatened. I remember a, a night we were out on a call. It was... Uh, Oh, probably about three or four o'clock in the morning. And the call came out that we were to pick up four drunk college students. And they had, in their drunkenness, started to fight police officers. Not a good idea. And so in the middle of the fight, the police officers pepper sprayed all of these four teens. And so when we arrived, these four teens were not in a very good mood. Okay, and so I'm not saying I'm an angel myself, but I've never been cussed out more than I was that night by these four drunk college students. And they were uncooperative, and they started to get, they're all now in the back of our ambulance, and they started to get a little violent, and my partner had to take control over these guys in the back of this ambulance because somebody was going to get hurt, and we knew that that somebody was probably going to be us. And that's where I heard my, my partner, uh, the, the paramedic that night, who normally is this very, very meek meek guy, say, if you want help, you had better shut up and sit down, and you're going to do it now. Otherwise, you're just going to go to jail with pepper spray still in your eyes. And at once, all four of them realized that if they were going to get any help from us whatsoever, they had better obey. They had, had better obey the authority. You see, they had power in that situation. Those four drunk college students probably could have quickly overpowered us But they didn't have authority in that situation. We did. And so Jesus says, be silent. Come out of him. But with the original language, if you look that up, it shows that it was even stronger. In fact, what Jesus says is something that we wouldn't even consider polite. What are you going to do with us, Jesus? I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, O holy one. And Jesus would have said, shut up. Come out of him right now. I've heard enough of you. You may be powerful, but you are not in charge here. I am. And there was nothing that this unclean spirit could do to get out from underneath the authority of Jesus at that moment. The kingdom of God was alive and in charge, and it still is. See, it's easy for us to read this story and, and to look at this story and get so focused on that unclean spirit and, and what happened to that unclean spirit that we miss the fact that there was a man there whom that spirit inhabited. What happened to that guy? Real simple that man was healed, he was healed. And if you ever need any proof of, of Jesus' claim of authority, here in the middle of a church service, well, it was a man who walked in with a demon, but who walked out absolutely free that day. No one else could drive out an unclean spirit like Jesus. Nobody else had the authority like Jesus. So listen, friends, if a, if a demon-possessed man has a chance, so do you so do you. Jesus has the authority to change you. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, why does my life seem like it's smiling out of control? Why are my dreams fading? Why is my sin growing? Why is my energy diminishing? Why is my hope lost? See, Jesus still has authority over all of that. He still has authority to heal you. And whatever miss you may have made from your life, here's the gospel truth. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save us. And maybe you think that there's nothing in this world that you would ever be able to, to offer a Lord, a King of, like Jesus, except your absolute miss of a life. It's okay. Bring it. Your life Your mess is no problem for Jesus. Jesus loves taking a messed up life and transforming it. But we have to submit to his authority. See, it's one thing for us to come and say that Christ is Lord. It's a whole different thing to say that Christ is my Lord. Any devil can say the first. But only a follower of Jesus can say the second. So what do you say? And because that question is so important, I want you to consider this final thing from our passage today. Jesus is the authoritative Savior. Look at verses 27 and 28. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. They were all amazed, all amazed. Everybody there was absolutely amazed. Nobody was left out. Everyone was dumbfounded by what they had just witnessed in that church that day. What is this? Even the unclean spirits obey this guy. To teach as Jesus did was was impressive that day. But what was more impressive is what happened because of his teaching. And the demons couldn't resist him. See, Jesus' teaching had a tangible effect on the people that were listening to him. I want you to think about that. Jesus saved a man with a devil inside of him. Who else can do that? no one what do you make of this kind of authority see we listen we live in this time this this age where we're questioning authority but what did Jesus do with his authority did he lord it over us no the son of man the bible says came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom many See, Jesus, he said it himself, "All authority in heaven on earth belongs to him, yet He took his authority and he went to a cross and died for us. All the authority was His, and he used it to pay the price for our sin. His authority was used for salvation. That's pretty good news because if my salvation is up to me, I'm going to miss it up, right? I'll never keep my salvation if it's only up to me. See, my salvation isn't dependent on me. My salvation is dependent on the one that has authority over it. You have to answer that question for yourself. What will I do with Jesus? It's one thing to ask him to be your best friend, but it's something totally different to submit to his authority in your life but there's nothing to fear from his authority he proved it by dying in your place so Jesus has the authority to defeat my sin and defeat death by by raising from the dead then surely I can trust that kind of authority it's so easy For us to come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, forgive me for this. And and thank you for paying the price for my sins. But it's different to say, all authority still belongs to you. And therefore, I choose to make you my Lord and my King. There is no other Savior besides Jesus. The demons may try to make their claim on you just as they did on Jesus but don't worry we serve one that's more powerful and when he sets us free we are free indeed let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes let's pray together today heavenly father lord we thank you for your word we thank you lord for your son's authority authority over all that we are going through, but also authority on over the enemy that seeks to destroy us. Lord, if we would just allow you and your authority to have a place in our life, imagine what you could do. And so Lord, as we pray this morning, I I just want to pray that we would take a a time to to come to you this morning, Jesus, and say, would you examine us? Would you search us? Would would you show any part of of us to, to ourselves and to you that we have not submitted that area over to your authority? Lord, there are so many that are either here today or, or watching on, online that are, that are suffering needlessly because we've just, not, we've just not turned over that area of our life to your authority. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we thought that we could take care of things ourselves, but we didn't. And so Lord, we pray today that you would release from us any area that's not 100% surrendered to you. And Lord, in its place, would would the authority of Jesus take over? Would the authority of Jesus be applied to that area of our life? And so, Lord, when that temptation comes up again, when that trigger happens again, Lord, we we can have that peace of knowing this has been given over to you. I don't have to do this. I don't have to get angry. I don't, I don't have to whatever. And Lord, you have even given us authority over that same evil that you defeated that day. Your word tells us, behold, I give you the authority to trample on servants and on scorpions and over the power of the enemy. And so Lord Jesus, may we use that authority to get rid of the devil's schemes in our life. Lord, may we be Jesus here on earth. May we serve those with your authority just as you did for us. Help us, Lord, to go out into our communities, into our homes, into our schools, and with your authority, be you in the flesh to those that we come into contact with. Lord, may you free us, may you deliver us from what the enemy has tried to destroy. May we submit over to you and call upon you and ask you to be our Lord and our King today. Lord Jesus, we we need you to work in our life. We are nothing without you. But what you can do with us of a fully surrendered one to you. And so, Lord, may we come to you today 100% surrender our life over to you. And when we walk out these doors, we know that the person who walked in here is not the same one that will walk out. For you are now Lord. You are now King. And you have authority over everything. We love you, Jesus. May we be the ambassadors of your kingdom in our world. And we will do it for your glory and in your name. And all of us say together, amen and amen and amen. Go out to wherever you need to go. Whether it's lunch today, whether it's your school, wherever it is, you represent Jesus and he is with you. Be submitted to him. I love you and have an incredible, incredible rest of your weekend. Have a great day.